Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can reach us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's, or you can reach me personally at Justin Bizarro. If you want to find us and listen to us, uh, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts. So with that being said, I have Dennis Alizé from... Kansas City, Missouri of Chicken Waffles. How are you doing today, Dennis? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Justin. Thank you. And it's been a long day. and I've recorded like so many podcasts this week. So I really appreciate you taking the time and meeting the schedule and coming to be on the show. So it really means a lot to me. So that being said, um, tell us your story. How did you become an entrepreneur and why food? Um, so my story is uh, an interesting one. Uh, so I my father um actually started a restaurant uh you know in the 80s um uh, which is when i was born and uh so i kind of always grew up in the restaurant industry but uh after you know going through school high school college i never wanted to get into the restaurant industry i I wanted nothing to do with it uh and so i actually went into the car industry um and uh and did that for about 10 years as uh, as fate would have it, um, my brother, uh, my younger brother, uh, when he finished college, he took over the family restaurant and uh, expanded uh, to another location just down the block from the original location, which was there for you know over thirty years. And uh, and so the space that that was there was vacant, and there was still a lease left on that uh, on that building. Um, and I was at the same time getting kind of burned out from uh, from the, the grind of the car business. It takes a toll on you. And uh, decided to uh, to give it a shot with the help of uh, my wife and uh, and my uh, my son, who's 17 now. Uh, we kind of just kind of jumped right into it. So why chicken and waffles? Like, why did you choose that particular um, food item? And then you mentioned your son and your wife. Like, let's talk about what is that relationship like? Like, everyone's involved. You're obviously a close family. So what type of core values do you have as a family that you're willing to do this as a family? So I think there's two questions there. Why chicken and waffles? And then also the core values that you have as a family um, sort of that made this possible. Sure. It's, a, it's actually a, it's a, it's a funny story. Um, so while I'm in the car business, right. I, uh, my, my wife, so we had it, we have a, uh, you know, at the time he was 15, um, or I guess 14, I would say. And then, uh, and my wife got pregnant with, uh, my daughter who's now, uh, three years old. Um, so at the time of her pregnancy, she started craving the most random things that, you know, you could think of and it wasn't anything that she would ever eat uh on a normal day um so i come home from work one day and there's a box from amazon outside of our door i pick it up i open it up it's a waffle machine and i'm like okay i guess we're having waffles for for dinner and uh you know i I go in the kitchen my wife's frying up chicken and she's like i'm craving chicken and waffles and i guess that was the theme for all of her pregnancy cravings was she's looking for sweet and, and and salty foods um, so she makes it and I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was maybe my second, third time eating chicken and waffles and me and her have gone out to restaurants. She's never ordered that off the menu. Uh, so I always thought that was funny. The next day, um, she, uh, she's in the kitchen again and she's concocting the sauce, which is actually one of our signature sauces. Now it's called the spicy trick sauce. And what it is, is it's maple syrup. It's infused with sriracha, lime juice, cayenne pepper, so it's like a, it's a sweet and spicy uh, sauce. And so she made that in the kitchen and we had chicken and waffles again, only this time it was a spicy version. And I told her, this is really good. I mean, this could, this could work out. Um, and I guess over the course of six months, um, you know, from, and while she's pregnant and we had the baby and um, we started coming up with essentially a, an entire menu uh, for a restaurant that didn't exist. You know what I mean? And, uh, and then the, the move happened with my, uh, with my family's restaurant. And so that place was vacant and I was at my parents' house when the light bulb kind of went off when they were like, you know, we're going to do this move. And then we, I guess we'll just break the lease. We'll pay whatever we have to do. And the light bulb went off and I was like, you know what? 
I have an idea for it. I think it would do great. And uh, it's funny because I said that, and then my wife like kind of gave me this look, like, are, are you kidding? So we go home, and we talk about it, and she's like, I don't know what you're thinking. You have a stable job. You're making good money. Um, you know, you never wanted to get into the restaurant business. That's what you've always said. You've always told your dad that. And then now all of a sudden you want to just open up a restaurant. And so I found myself having to, uh, to having to kind of convince her and calm her down. And I told her, listen, you know, I'm really good at my job when it comes to, you know, selling cars and, and, and managing, you know, sales staff. So that'll always be there for me. I can always fall back on that. This doesn't work out, but I feel like I want to build something for us, something that, you know, for our kids, for our future, something that we can see expand. And I got super excited because, you know, I, I'm a dreamer. I've always been, I always look at things, you know, how far I could take something. I, I didn't want just one restaurant. I didn't want to fall into the same uh, routine that my dad fell in, which was, you know, be an owner operator. And he didn't have time to, you know, even see us as kids. He's always at work. And if something broke down or if somebody called in, he's the one that's having to cover it. So I, I learned a lot from what I didn't want to do from my dad. Yeah, me, t- me too, exactly. And I, I'll touch on that later. I'll let you keep going, but I want to make a footnote. I want to talk about that a little bit, learning from not only your dad's successes, but your dad's mistakes or big long-term legacy mistakes, I would say, also. Absolutely. He, um, and so um, originally when we did it, I was like, listen, we've, if you think about it, we've spent, you know, the last six months, we came up with an entire menu. Um, we, we pretty much designed the inside of what our make believe restaurant would look like. Let's just, you know, plug the pieces into this location and I think it'll work. And I told her, I was like, we'll write everything down. We'll, we'll, so we could retrace our steps and we could figure out what worked and what didn't work so that when we expand, we have something to go back to and, and see. We don't have to figure out oh, where we got this from or how we came up with this recipe or the portion sizes or anything like that. And that's what we did. We were very meticulous and, and careful. Um, and I went into work and I put in my two weeks notice um, and they obviously did not take it well. Um, they, they asked me to stay an extra month uh, until they could find my replacement. And then I agreed. But I think two weeks into it, like my brain was just, I was checked out from the car business and I was, all I was thinking about was this restaurant. Um, we did have a little bit of money saved, um, not, not a whole lot. Uh, I think we started this restaurant with uh, about $60,000. And the restaurant that, the space that my dad had occupied for, for all these years uh, was very dated. Um, he's an old school guy. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And, uh, you know, that wasn't really my style. And, and so we didn't have enough money to hire a, uh, a general contractor. So uh, it was me and my wife doing a whole lot of, you know, do-it-yourself type of uh, remodeling from the flooring to the light fixtures to painting, uh, uh, upgrading the, the kitchen. Um, and, you know, obviously our son would come help. And, and then we, we got to the point where we opened. Um, and that was... January of 2020 and if you know anything about what's happened in the last three years you know that that's literally two months before the <laughs> pandemic hit. yeah I think it was March 19th or 16th or something like somewhere in those days I usually remember that's dates pretty well that they actually exact, it's it's funny because that's the exact date because what ended up happening was we uh we opened the first month and we're sur- we're in we're in Midtown Kansas City, and we're surrounded by bars and nightclubs, and everything's open, you know, till 3 a.m. And so we always do. We wanted to be that late night food spot that everybody went to, um, and kind of be like that hit place and during the daytime, and then that late night spot at night. Um, and the first month was great. February was even better because the Chiefs had won the Super Bowl that year. And, uh, and so everybody's partying, you know, in Kansas City and uh, in, the, in the neighborhood that we're in. And so we got so much organic traffic just from people that, you know, they just see the sign chicken and waffle outside and they're like, oh, that's new. Let's check it out. Um, and so I'm excited because two months into it, I'm like, OK, this this actually could work. We're doing OK. I, I don't you know, because it was just scary. You're putting your life in all your savings into a business you got a new uh, baby on the way or that was born actually. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I pretty much risk it all. 
And uh, if it wasn't for the family sticking by my side and, and my wife, you know, we, we found a, a sitter and she's helping me at the restaurant during the day and then going home to the baby. And then my son's, you know, helping me out on the weekends when he doesn't have school. And uh, and I think it was just basically the three of us. And we had one extra employee that was with us. And, you know, I'm working open to close seven days a week. And uh, March rolls around and we had so every year for St. Patty's Day, the neighborhood that I'm in, it's called Westport. They throw a huge St. Patty's Day parade. It's the biggest one in the city. And from 9 a.m., the whole, I mean, there's thousands of people right outside of our door. Um, so, obviously, I've never owned a restaurant, to, but my dad did. And so he always told me, he's like, you need to be ready for this day. It's going to be a big day. It's always been the busiest day for us. And so I call our food distributor and I tell him, yo, I got to order, you know, extra this week because of St. Patty's Day. And then the background, the whole COVID thing's happening. But it was kind of weird. We were our city was kind of in denial about it. They kept saying, "Oh no, we're we're, we're fine. Our, our infections are not that high. We'll be okay. We're still having the St. Patty's Day parade. Don't worry about it." And so I, I placed the order, and uh, and you know we're riding a, running a tight ship. So whatever income's coming in is going back out to to cover you know the food costs and all that stuff. So it's the big. And, it was St. Patty's Day time. I do remember this in Colorado. It, it like was. it was so huge. I get. I get Literally the day before, I get an email from the Westport uh, Management Society, which is basically the people in charge of the neighborhood we're in, and they say, uh, due to COVID, we're canceling the event, and uh, I just got the shipment in, and I'm like, what am I going to do with all this food? And, you know, quickly, at that point, you know, it it was uh, kind of fight or flight type deal, and I couldn't fail. I, I, I... you know, I have a family that's depending on me. Um, and so, you know, we quickly had to kind of reorganize and figure out how we're going to survive this because originally it was, Oh, it's only going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. And then it's one month and then, and it's just kind of going. And so quickly we, we realized, you know, we need to make an online presence and, you know, we're new. So people don't know to look for us. They don't know who we are. They've never heard of us. And now everybody's stuck at home. So they're not even driving by to see the sign. So um, obviously the, the answer was to, to get online and, and, and get our online presence going. But uh, we made it through, um, you know, and it was, uh, it, was, it was scary at times. But I think once kind of a year later, COVID kind of, uh, you know, people kind of got frustrated and, uh, and started going out and, and things kind of uh, – got easier and uh and then the floodgates just opened and we've been killing it ever since yeah i want to say this and i'll circle back to this later but again but it's it's fortunate that you went through the hardship because we will talk about that marketing and that online presence and having to focus on that has really built the backbone of your business the other part is is i feel like st louis missouri like first forms there i'm in arite syndicate andy frisella's there you know even though ed millette's in california but it's really headquartered out of St. Louis and, and a lot of entrepreneurism and blue collar, hard workers uh, learning uh, and white collars learning from their parents, blue collar work. And I would call it almost like we have a sky blue collar because we grew up in food and we grew up blue collar or on farms also in my case. And then we became also entrepreneurs, which is sort of white collarish, but not really. And so we're more like a baby blue and it's, um, and or some other color someone else can come up with a better color than that if they don't like baby blue so the thing is um what i like about this is the foundational like building over generation of entrepreneurship and i was just like you i did not want to be in food my father was in food i did not want to be in food my father was traveling all over the world all the time to do airline kitchens i wanted nothing to do with travel on the road all the time for food and no kidding, 18 years old, what do I do? Travel, food, all over the country, would, and go right into it. And so it's the weirdest thing. It's like you can't escape it even even when you're like, I don't want to do this. It's like I knew it was my destiny. I'm like, no! But it's like, <laughs> but once I thought about it, like I don't have to do it the way my father did it. I don't have to be involved in everything. I don't have to be so controlling or, you know, or... You know, what happens sometimes is like they're all giving at the beginning and then a little bit like 
Napoleon was like free the people and then all of a sudden declare yourself dictator and so you know I had some of that but I want to talk about your father the relationship I didn't I didn't catch what kind of restaurant it was and you've obviously moved in this space so you worked in it as a kid and you're ending up back there again like what's that feel like what was that relationship with him like and what was that food business I tell you what that uh you know, grow, I, growing up, you know, my dad's always at work. So I, you know, I barely, I barely saw him. We would take a vacation, family vacation, maybe once every two years. Um, but outside, the only if I wanted quality time with my dad growing up, it would be, hey, go to work. When I'd, I'd be a waiter or in the kitchen, and that was the only time that we kind of, you know, spent quality time with each other. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the rest of the time is working. Um, but you know, this 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 man, he immigrated. Um, you know, in the early eighties, um, he's, uh, he's from Bethlehem and he immigrated and I was born there actually, but he, he, he immigrated, uh, in Palis- in we're talking about in Palestine, correct? The West correct. bank or yes. yeah. Yes. In okay. The West bank. And so he immigrated, uh, from, he had an engineering degree. Um, he actually got his engineering degree here in the States. He went back, he worked a little bit and then he, he got, he, you know, he got married with my mom. Um, they had me, and when I, when I was uh, one, he came back to the states and was looking for an engineering degree or a job in in his field. And uh, at the time, the country was going through a recession, and there just wasn't any jobs available. And uh, he just was—I mean, he just didn't—he didn't want to go back. He wanted to build a you know a better life for us. And uh, he saw that space, that same space that I'm in right now. Uh, the space that he ended up having his restaurant in is what he he found when he came to Kansas City. And the reason he's picked Kansas City is that's, this is where he went to school, in college. And so uh, he leased out the space. Um, he's never owned a restaurant before, um, but he figured that would be the easiest way to make some money. So, so um, hold on here. I just want to just understand because I just anyone who's outside the United States probably doesn't understand this, but most immigrants. And, and like my family, we, you end up on one of the coasts, you know, some end up in California, but a lot of people end up these coasts. Did he just like suddenly end up in Kansas City, Missouri? Is that where he chose? Like, or was it he was yeah, going for so, engineer? Because I'm just like, I mean, I could see Chicago ish. That's sort of the middle of the country. But like to just pick like growing, Kansas City. <laughs> growing up, I would ask this question all the time because you see all these big cities and we'd go travel or whatever to like on family vacation. I'm like, why are we living in Kansas city? Like there's so much nicer, bigger cities out there. Uh, but it, it grows on you. You know what I mean? But, uh, the reason he ended up in Kansas city was, uh, he went to college here. So his, his uncle, um, had, uh, went to college. I forget. in one of the coasts and then ended up getting a job at an engineering firm in, in Kansas city. And so my dad came here to call for college. Um, this is the only person in the States that, that he knew. Uh, and so that's why he ended up in Kansas city. So then after he graduated, went back overseas, got married, they had me, he's only lived in Kansas city. He only knows Kansas city. So he ended up coming back to Kansas city, but, uh, yeah, he finds the space, um, in Westport, which is where our chicken and waffle is now. And he opens up a middle Eastern restaurant and it was called Jerusalem cafe. Um, and uh, he took that restaurant and ended up having, over the course of uh, 30-something years, ends up having uh, a total of eight locations. Um, and they're all run by him. And they're all, like, if he's not, if, I mean, it was one of those situations where if, God forbid, something happened to him, there, I, I wouldn't know how to, like, there's accounts I didn't know about, vendors I didn't know about, my brothers, my mom. Nobody knew anything about it except for him. Uh, I, I'm the same way. And we, we had like, a, and it's eight locations is a big company. And we had multiple companies and doing hundreds of thousands of meals a week. Uh, actually, even a day at one point across hospitals and healthcare. And I was like, working with my father, I'm like, why do, are you the only one that knows all the details all the time? Like, this is not good. And even like, but I agree with you. It's just a mindset. That's a generational mindset. I think. I I just uh, 
I, I honestly, I still, I, I know that it, he wanted us to be involved, but I feel like he always wanted something better for us. He didn't want us to go down the same path as him. He never, yeah. he never once said, hey, this yeah. is going to be yours one day. Or I want you to be in the restaurant business. It was actually the opposite. It was always, hey, I'm doing <laughs> yeah, this. Me and, too. And I, you know, he's making money. You're going to go to college. You're going to become a doctor or a lawyer. And then, you know, my job here is done. Like, I, I, I set you up. Right? Yeah, that's and, like, go uh, the easy life. Go the corporate life. I'm like, no, no, no. Right. I don't fit in there. This I this is where I belong. I belong over here. Right. So, I, go on. I always wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, you know, that was, I mean, I guess they wanted me to be a lawyer more than them. And I, I finished, I graduated uh, from University of Missouri with a, uh, a bachelor's in uh, criminal justice, a minor in psychology. I took my LSAT, I get into the University of Missouri, Kansas City Law School, and literally right before I start, I'm like telling them, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want you guys to spend another $100,000 on, on my education to finish law school for something that I'm not going to be happy to doing. Like, it's, I'm not enjoying it. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't, I don't know. And I traveled to Florida and I went, I went, I, I moved to Florida and that's where I got into the car business. And Believe it or not, I feel like I learned more just from moving out, being on my own, and working at a corporate large auto group. I learned so much more valuable information than I did in my entire high school and college, uh, you know, career. And uh, and I use the stuff that I learned uh, working in my business today. But uh, as far as you know, this the relationship with my dad, you know, once my brother took over and moved the space to, you know, the space that we're in right now is about uh, 2000 square feet. And they ended up moving to a space that's 4,000 square feet. Um, but it's a standalone building. It's newer, it's updated, it's nicer, bigger kitchen. And, uh, and so when we started remodeling, my dad was like, you could tell he was happy. Like he, he, he for, we had so much quality time for that, you know, that build out. We did our build out took us like three months and it was me and him and my wife and kid were just every day. And he's, you know, he's got all the tools and all the equipment and stuff like that. So, I mean, I couldn't have done it without him. He helped out a lot, um, you know, with showing us, Hey, this is not going to pass, you know, inspection and you need to do this. So just stuff that <clears throat> he's learned along the way. Um, and so, I feel like it uh, it brought us closer, and now even more so. Uh, the uh, when, since my brother took over, everything's become more modern uh, for his business, for his restaurant that he started, and so we actually kind of forced him into retirement now. So he's uh, he's at home, he's working around the house, uh, but he you know he checks in on us and and he gets excited when he sees things growing uh, the way they are for me and my brother. Can I ask a can I ask a more pointed question? Um, sure. I mean, there's obviously he, uh, your father went back to Palestine and then came back here be, um, ch- chasing opportunity and, and his, um, your mother's from here, uh, from the United States, um, just to be accurate. Uh, and no, no, you, my mother's, my mother's from overseas. They, they met over there. Oh, they met over there. I'm sorry. As well. yep. So they're both Palestinians. So they come back over here to chase a job, but you're, they end up staying here. I mean, is that on purpose? Did your father want to pursue the American dream uh, intentionally? Was that done with intent because he instilled it in you and that's what you're living right now? You're basically living the compound. Everyone thinks the American dream is the first generation. It's actually, if you truly look at it, when immigration immigrants come to this country, like Italians, like my family, they were thinking about me the third generation or second generation and compounding the American dream. Is that what happened? Absolutely. I, I think the American dream is very well and alive, um, even today, uh, even with my son. I mean, he's he's born and raised here. He's, he's 14, but barely it doesn't speak a, a lick of Arabic. Right. It's all English. But even then, I could still see he has the entrepreneurial spirit because he's picking it up from me and he's seeing, hey, you could you start with this small business and then you can continue to grow it into, you know, whatever you can dream of. And uh, and my dad was the same way, I think. He, he always knew that the best opportunities for his family, for his kids, for his kids' kids are going to be in, in the States more so than any, uh, you know, other country. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's just the way, I, the way America has always been set up. If you work hard and, and you're determined and dedicated, you could make anything possible. And I, I strongly believe that and I still think it's the case. 
I agree with you. And it's just uh, because one of the things I also like is that Missouri, it's a land of opportunity. It was a growing city. And now for you, you're also riding that growth because the United States is growing. And in a lot of cities in the middle of the United States, Denver, Nashville, um, these cities that weren't as big before Kansas City are becoming bigger and more white collar also. So I like this. So let's talk about the logo, the Waffly uh, the Waffly Good Chicken, like the trademarks, yeah. how you came up with the branding. Like, let's talk about that, how you came up with the name. Because I know you're close to your family. We just talked about the American Dream. One of the things I like about the American Dream is it's usually family's very important. Family's part of the center. It's usually like God, family, and then business. Um, at least it was for me. And so I think that's probably the same for you. So let's talk about like how you guys came up with the logos. This is a family business it's obviously multiple generation even if the family's not involved directly in in the business investment or ownership wise it seems like you guys are involved with each other to help each other and invest in each other spiritually and with hard work i guess for lack of a better term work ethic sure no i, I the logo is uh so graphic design's always been kind of a hobby of mine i you know, I always tell my son, you know, if you don't know how to do something, just YouTube it, you know, and we're fortunate enough to be growing up in that generation where, you know, YouTube is, is available. My, you know, my parents didn't have that growing up. And, and so everything you want to learn is literally a click away. And so graphic design was one of those things I always thought was cool. And I would learn how to do different things on Photoshop through YouTube. Um, and this logo, well, first let's talk about, talk about the name, the name, uh, the way it's spelled is C-H-I-C-K hyphen I-N waffle. And the reason that is, is because the original concept was supposed to be chicken inside of a waffle cone, like an ice cream cone. And you put the chicken inside. And it's, it's a handheld type of meal that you can kind of walk around with. And it's very uh, Instagram worthy photo type uh, of food. You can tell well, that your parents were really emphasizing you learning English and not speaking Arabic because you use the term hyphen and not dash. And the only reason I know that is because I'm so familiar with how important English was, like for my grandmother, especially that I get it correct in capitalization and punctuation. So I just wanted to make note of that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt, Dennis. Go on. Right. No, you're fine. Uh, that's funny. You notice all these things. But that, and I, you see, you mentioned it, and I think, oh, my God, he's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that was originally the concept. And, um, you know, with, with the way COVID went down, we, we packaging a cone and then getting it delivered through DoorDash just was not appealing by the time it got to the customer. And so that's where the innovation starts to come take place. And we, we figured we would offer two options and you can get it in the cone, which we still offer today. And then we came up with the bubble waffles. And I'm not saying I invented bubble waffles. They've been around. Uh, they originate from Hong Kong. Uh, and uh, it's called an egg Hong Kong style waffle. And uh, and we came up with that one uh, to use for chicken and waffle. And I'm pretty sure we're the first people to ever use a bubble style waffle with chicken. Usually they're reserved for desserts like ice cream. Um, but anyway, uh, that's where the name came from, is the chicken was inside the waffle. And then the logo was just me, trial and error. I would draw something out and put in Photoshop. I'd show my wife, what do you think? No, I don't like it. And just back and forth, back and forth until, you know, we, we tweaked it and, it and it is what it is today. Um, as far as trademarks, um, you know, like I said, when we started this uh, this restaurant, it was always we always had that bigger vision. We wanted to be in, you know, we wanted to have 50 locations. We knew we wanted to be a franchise. We knew we wanted to. You guys are crazy. so awesome. I love it. Keep going. I just, I, I, I'm building up to something here and I'm so just, I'm, I have my adrenaline going just to drop the bomb because you guys have huh. done great things with your products. Keep going. Cause I love what you're Thank talking you. about. You're getting very excited. You're building up the energy. Like, um, and uh, as you're talking about this stuff, we also talk about how you develop the menu. I want to just integrate it in your story because you have all these cool waffles and, and chickens yeah. and you're actually using a waffle cone. So talk about the menu as our, well and how you developed all of that. Sure. So if we want to, let's start with COVID. So our menu, that two months that we opened, our menu was completely different. I would say completely. Our core items were still there, but a lot of the items that were on that menu 
are no longer on that menu. And the reason being is when we first opened, we had a lot of um, uh, produce. Um, for example, I had, you know, fajita, chicken fajita in a waffle cone, you know what I mean, where we had to get bell peppers and onions and we were sauteing them and putting them with the fried chicken. It was just, we were, the cool thing about our concept is it's, it's never been done before in the sense that I can pretty much come up with whatever I want in the kitchen. And, and as long as it tastes good and looks cool, it'll work. I'm not being compared to, oh, this is a real Mexican food. Well, I, I'm not trying to be a Mexican restaurant. I can still serve chicken fajita waffles. Um, but what ended up happening with COVID is I realized, listen, if I get produce, this produce, I have a certain amount of time to sell it before it goes bad. And so I was like, let's cut the produce out. And we had, you know, mac and cheese and, and we had so much stuff on the menu at first. And I was like, no, 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 let's just stick to the basics. And that's what we did. We got rid of a lot of items and stuck to the basics that, you know, either had a longer shelf life or, you know, you can um, use the same ingredients to make a lot of different dishes. Um, and so we quickly redid our, our menu. Um, and then we, and we, again, we learned all, and we, we were looking at things that what traveled well and what didn't through DoorDash and the, these other Uber, um, and, you know, apps, because we want to make sure that it gets to the customer, uh, you know, fresh and, and tasting good. So how but, did you uh, go about that? I mean, did you actually test the food and send it to yourself? How did you test the food to make sure it goes or do you just oh, yeah, let it absolutely. sit around or something? I mean, I'd, yeah, we, I've never we done it, it so. Yeah, we let it sit. So we'd make something. I put it in a in the in the box, and we have to keep changing boxes and changing bags until we figured out what worked and what didn't work. And we would just let it sit, and we'd come back, you know, thirty minutes later, try it out, see what it tastes like, um, what it looked like, and uh, it was just a bunch of trial and error. And we would again, we would always write down everything that we did and what worked and what didn't work so we could always go back to it when we started franchising um i think a year into the whole covid pandemic thing we were making a profit um the the restaurant was 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 doing decent our first year i think we did uh four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in sales which blew my mind because yeah that's I great for the first year of a restaurant yeah, I was and during a pandemic too. Yeah, absolutely. Thinking, you know, I was thinking two hundred thousand. You know, and I figured it would take me a while to recoup the money that we invested in the place. But we we made about four hundred fifty thousand dollars, and we had some money saved up um, because again, it's like the overhead was low. It was me and my wife working. You know, and we're not really paying, and 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 my son, and we're not paying a lot of uh, employee staff. And um, with that being said. At the end of the year, I was like, I think we figured out enough to move to that next stage where we start offering franchises. And so I started, uh, I started researching, um, you know, the steps needed to take on to become a franchise. And that was, that was probably the hardest part, I think, of the whole ordeal is just making sure that I'm making the right decisions because it's, it's, it's very expensive to do. And I was learning that as I'm doing the more, more research. The first thing I came across was a, you have to trademark the name. Um, so I, you know, start Googling attorneys. I find an attorney here locally. I, you know, I give them the logo and the name and our menus and everything that we're offering and t-shirts that we're selling and hats and everything like that. And I think it ended up costing me all of $1,500, uh, to, to register that as a trademark. Um, the next step was obviously the franchising part. And so I found this company, um, and I'm, I'll give them a plug, but anyway, they're called uh, Franchise Creator. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're, uh, their head office is in Miami, but they have offices in Phoenix, Los Angeles, New York, um, and their sole job is to find uh, independent restaurants like mine that want to become franchises and they, That's they really cool, pretty actually. much walk you through step by step how to do it. It's, it's a consulting firm at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and I met with about three or four of them, uh, different companies that it's a, it's a niche market, but there's three or four of them and they all offer the same services. Um, and I ended up picking this one uh, simply because I just felt the most 
they felt most relatable. Like I can, it sounded like when I was talking to the, to the owner of the company, it just sounded like he, he started his own business at one point. Um, and it wasn't a restaurant, it was a software company, but it sounded like he built it from the ground up. And so he understands what I'm going through, uh, versus the other guys that just sounded like, you know, know-it-alls. Um, but, uh, anyway, that, that whole ordeal ended up costing me about $60,000. And here we are a year into this new restaurant and, you know, we have some money saved up and I, in my head, I'm like, you know, do we buy a new house? Interest rates were low at the time. Do I, you know, do I buy my wife a new car? Do we pay off some credit card debt or do we double down on this dream? And I, you know, obviously we, we consulted as a family and I said, I, I, I think the way this is being received from the customers, I think this will blow up anywhere we put it in the country. And, uh, and so we registered as a franchise, we did our FDD, uh, and our operating manual. And, and the cool thing is what this company was telling me was most people, when they decide to take the step uh, to become a franchise, they don't have, they don't have enough data and information about their own business to put into that operating manual. And the operating manual is the, the whole bloodline of this this thing that's what yeah, this whole this, franchise or the standard on. operating procedures as a lot of people call them like you need them you can't yeah. operate them without them or hope to make safe food for that matter and and most people have good restaurants they're successful but they never have anything on paper they never wrote down a process of how to do things or or at least simplified enough to where it's easy to teach someone luckily for us this was always our vision from day one was to do this so we again along the way we've always written things down We've always tried to simplify things as much as possible um, because I always put myself, how do I, how do I teach this to a 16 or 17 year old that might work for me or a franchisee in the future? And so I had to, you know, very simple, put, we put labels and, and, and charts everywhere so that everything was kind of organized. And so when that time came to build this operating manual, the company we sent them everything and they literally had it done in a week when it normally takes you know four or five months to complete this thing um and so that was exciting and and to top it off at the very end i know i had one employee working for me and he worked for me throughout the pandemic and as soon as we registered to become a franchise and we're eligible to sell franchises in the united states uh he approached me and said hey i want to i want to buy a franchise and so that was that was exciting that was a cool story and i and i'll tell you more about it but uh hopefully that answers your question about how we we got to the point where we started selling the franchises yeah i want you to answer that the question let's go back one second um and i just want to touch upon this how did you discover the bubble waffle like i mean i know someone else discovered it and you mentioned hong kong and i'm aware of it but it's just such a creative way and i never thought and i have seen it in hong kong i've been there when i was in graduate school and um and and spent quite some time there but um so i'm familiar with it it's an interesting integration so uh, where'd the exposure i guess the better it's on discovery where'd the exposure to it come from i like that word better because we use that and then the second part is is why what gave you the idea to use a waffle cone and put chicken in it instead because it, it's you're using the name chicken and waffles basically but you're putting chick in with a hyphen dash i n and so it's actually in the waffle cone. So it's like something that's a normal name, but it's actually different. So it's almost, um, it, there's a juxtaposition, I would say, in that when someone thinks about what chicken and waffles are, they have a, a certain thing. But then when they see it, it like messes up their mind because it's not traditional. It doesn't fit into the normal box in their head. And that kind of juxtaposition, it's like that. It's like, okay. I'm going to give an example just so everyone's aware. It's like I have the honeybee tattoo on my hand because I believe in po positive pollination of the world because from day one that I remember, the day I was born, I know I was an entrepreneur. And to me, that's what an entrepreneur is, is positively pollinating the world around us for future generations where we don't even possibly see the impact and influence of what we've planted, you know, the seeds that we planted or the pollination that we've done. So... That's why, but the oxy, the juxtaposition of it is I have no tattoos on my arm. So while everyone else has arm sleeves and doesn't do things on their hands, although most people are doing them now, 
the juxtaposition is that I don't. That would be an ex- that would be what I'm saying here. So it's like I think of chicken and waffles, but like, and I'm thinking of fried chicken, bone in on top of a waffle, the traditional Belgian waffle. Just so we're clear on what the name actually is, what the type of waffles we're used to here, and you know, and it has syrup on it, and maybe honey, and maybe hot sauce, depending on where you're from. But it's not that. So the juxtaposition is like all of a sudden, like whoa what happened here this is not normal this sticks out in my head i will remember this because it's different but it's not different in a negative way it's different that it still holds the traditional um sense of chicken and waffles but it's a spin on it so there's a juxtaposition there and so talk to me about that like how did you come up with these well like let's start with it goes back to the first part goes back to the name so we, we knew we wanted to do chicken and waffle serve them anyway and that we wanted that to be our, our our centerpiece as far as the name you know we could have called this thing anything right it could have it didn't even have to have the word chicken and waffle in the name um you know kind of like when you see a canes you know uh raising canes you know that you don't know that they're you know chicken or anything like that but that's what they are the reason i picked chicken and waffle is because in my head I'm thinking, okay, if somebody goes on Google and searches waffle or chicken, I want us to pop up somewhere. And I don't want it to be where they have to search for a specific name. It's literally they type chicken and waffles, we're going to show up. Um, and so then came the spin on the name, which is because we're putting them in the waffle cone. So it's chick uh, hyphen in waffle. Um, and so that's kind of where uh, that kind of came to be as far as, the the bubble waffles you know we we started out with the cones we realized just like you said people saw the name and they had an idea in their head of what they were supposed to be expecting when they walk in and when they walk in and they look at the menu or they get their food and it wasn't what they were expecting it was kind of like okay this is cool but this isn't what i thought i was going to get and for me like i I keep my ear to the ground and I'm always, I was, especially when we first started, like I'm, I'm there every day. I'm talking to every single customer that comes in and out and after they've tried the food, I'm, I'm getting all the feedback I can and I'm, you know, analyzing it and making decisions on the fly based off of what I'm hearing and tweaking things until we got it right. And what I quickly realized is number one, you're not going to please everyone there to this day. There'll still be somebody that walks in that thinks, they're going to get a traditional chicken and waffle meal. And to be honest, they can get that at any other brunch spot or, or uh, you know, soul food spot. They're, they're going to have chicken and waffles the traditional way. Um, but with us, we have to compete with a huge market of chicken restaurants that just popped up over the last, you know, eight to ten years, right? You got, you know, Cane's, Chick-fil-A, Dave's Hot Chicken, Slim Chickens. There's just, they're everywhere. And every every single one of those restaurants are essentially serving the same exact thing. You're getting chicken strips, white meat chicken, whatever, chicken tenders, and you're getting a piece of toast and french fries. And so in my head, I'm like, how are we going to stand out enough to where we're recognized and not just lost in between the rest of the chicken restaurants? But then also, I want to be, you know... I want to be that spot where somebody can eat there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, and so that's kind of always been the thought in our head when we came up with different items on the menu. Um, and obviously we've, we've, we've added a lot of things to the menu. So we still have chicken and waffles, but then we realized, you know, there's a huge chicken sandwich market that that's untapped for us. And yeah. So I mean, on the, on the, I agree with you that 100%, like you think about what the burgers have done, the chicken sandwich market is going to do the same thing eventually. I'm telling everyone yeah. this and Nashville hot. And I know wing stops doing their own chicken sandwich, but I agree with you. I think there's a huge concept there. So let's talk about your chicken sandwiches. Cause I think they're awesome also. Yeah. Uh, every time I add something to the menu, the very first thing I do is make sure that if I could make a unique item with using the least amount of new ingredients, because I want to keep things simple. The more ingredients I have to carry on my shelf or in my refrigerators, the more cost I'm actually having to deal with. That's more waste. That's more, you know, um, you know, shelf life, more space. And so 
every time I came up with something, it was always, hey, well, how can I use the same ingredients? So with the chicken sandwich, we already have chicken tenders that we can use as the, the protein for that sandwich. So all I really needed to do, and then we already have cheese that we use for the other items on our chicken and waffles. So we have the cheese. We already have the sauces from our chicken waffles because we have eight different flavors of chicken and waffles. So we, I essentially realized I could make eight different flavors of sandwiches. Um, we only have like five right now, but um, I could make eight if I, if I chose to. Um, and then we already have the French fries because that's always been a side. The only additional item I needed for this chicken sandwich was coleslaw. And that was it. And now I, all of a sudden I have an entire new segment on my menu that's chicken sandwiches. And I can advertise this to people that normally wouldn't walk into a place called chicken and waffle. And we deal with that a lot because let's face it. There's a lot of people that, <clears throat> excuse me, don't eat chicken and waffles. I was one of them. Uh, you know, my wife was one of them. She, we go to restaurants all the time. We never used to order chicken and waffles. So if I walked by a restaurant that was called chicken and waffle, I wouldn't think to go in there because they probably don't have anything for me. But now all of a sudden I have, I have sandwiches and I have wings and I have chicken strip baskets and, uh, and loaded fries. And I could advertise that. And all of a sudden I have new customers that I would have normally not gotten had we just stuck to the chicken and waffle. And it didn't cost me a whole lot more. I didn't have to get new equipment. I didn't have to get new ingredients or more shelf space or anything like that. Well, and they're going to try the stuff that they're not comfortable eventually right. uh, with yes. because they'll build trust off of the, the wing baskets and the tender baskets and the traditional, the more traditional style foods. And I find that as well, like um, that it's also, you know, you can lead a horse to water. It doesn't mean it's going to drink the water. But if you surround them with a trusting environment, you surround them eventually with trusting friends, they'll start to try new things. And so it, because it provides a safe environment and in food, it's the same thing in trying new food. It's a safety thing. And so keeping in mind that survival was based on trusting the people around us to try new things that we wouldn't all of a sudden die from the berry in the woods. And so it's that type of thing. We're still ingrained that way. And so one of the things that I love that you said is that you're focused on the least amount of ingredients and uh when you're adding something new and i agree with you trying to if you can use what you have you can turn it over faster you can um optimize more of the product um and utilize more of it or of the animal or however it looks depending on your business um i i think it's 100 percent spot on for anyone who's out there the other thing that i like that you talked about earlier was that your first franchisee was someone who had worked with you. I don't remember if you said for three years, but maybe or one for year. a year, one year. And so tell me how you, who this individual is, how you knew he was right for your business, how you knew he was right to be a franchisee, and then how you sort of take this steps and get into that story. We we have a little bit more time, and I just want to dive into that, and I'm going to definitely have you back on for a part two, Dennis, because we haven't even touched upon, like, the, the really end of the menu, and we haven't really touched into your energy and things like that and, and stuff like that, but I, let's talk about franchising, your first franchisee being someone who worked for you and he approached you. I think that all yeah. those things are important because – there's huge amount of success when this happens and you create this mojo magic lightning in a bottle whatever anyone wants to do but it's usually a compounded legacy and instilling values from our parents and so on and so forth that ends us up at this point but talk to me about this so his name is ryan and he worked for me like i said throughout the pandemic uh and this kid's 23 years old justin he's 23 young kid and my mouth just worker. hit the floor if anyone didn't hear it yeah. my jaw hit the ground because i wasn't expecting that actually for some reason um you know and I, I, this is I, I get goosebumps when i tell this story but uh because it, it really I, I let me just tell the story and then you guys decide but okay so he's 23 years old he is a semi-professional bodybuilder i mean so he's working for me and this kid doesn't eat like, I mean, when he eats, like, I don't know if you know anything about bodybuilding. I didn't know anything, but I mean, this kid is disciplined. I mean, water, 
six ounces of chicken or what, like a, no seasoning, nothing. Like he's very, his diet was everything to him because he would have these competitions that would be four or five months out. And, uh, and he would have to, you know, shred lots of fat so he could get, you know, shredded and compete in these bodybuilding competitions. Anyway. Um, so I always admired that about how disciplined he was. Um, and he was an, he was a great worker. He, uh, a year into it, we franchise and he approaches me and says, I want to franchise. What does it take? And I was like, listen, I, I don't like, I, I don't know if you can uh, honestly afford it. Like, can you? And then he's like, yeah, I could figure it out. Um, but like, you're going to help me and stuff like that. I was like, absolutely. So he goes and he tells his mom, his mom is a, uh, single mother who works at a, uh, a hospital or university of Kansas hospital. She's a cafeteria lady and she's worked there for 20 years. All right. That's all she's ever done was work in this cafeteria and, you know, provide for, for her kids. And he tells her, you know, this is what I want to do. And she wanted to set him up. Like she, she realized like, you know, he's, he's 23. He didn't want to go to college and he's got to build a life for himself. So what she does is she pulls out her, I mean, this lady's almost at retirement age. She pulls out her 401k. She quits her job. She comes to me and she says, this is all the money I have. And we're going to franchise. Is this going to work? And this is the scariest, most terrifying experience ever. Because now I'm not only responsible for my family and, and my family's you know future. And I'm, I'm, I just inherited his family and I don't want to fail them. But at the same time, that fear was my, my motivation and my pushing. And I told her, I looked her straight. Yeah, the like, ship, she burned the ships behind you for you. There was no other church. You had already done it for your family. Now she really burned them for you. There's no land in sight. You guys are right. no other land. I should say whatever Island you're on, you're on and you're fighting your way through it. And I told her, I was like, listen, I'm going to treat your place as if it was mine. And I have that same mentality with any of the other franchisees that we have on board right now. But with her especially, like I was there throughout the construction process, the build out, getting the equipment in, getting uh, opening, training, retraining, helping them hire, helping them advertise. Like I'm there, I, I spent more time in that restaurant than I did my own. At that point, I had a good crew running my place where I can, you know, step away and focus on building and, and growing the business. And so I was spending all my time there because. Number one, I wanted them to succeed. Number two, I wanted it to succeed for myself because this was the test to see if this is going to work as a franchise, profitable franchise uh, business. And so with their location, they were fortunate enough to get one with a drive-thru. Um, and our location, our corporate store in Westport doesn't have a drive-thru. And I've never worked in a drive-thru in my life. I don't know about, you know, anything about it other than yeah that. i saw it on instagram a drive-through picture i was going to ask about that like how did you integrate that into the picture because that's like those things and you're already a popular business so that just adds a whole nother layer yeah, that, that of might, complication that might be for for part two okay cool that's a cool that's a, that's a lot but yeah um, good good we were i was with them day in day out they are they just finished a year they've been open a year um, in November, this past November was one year for them, and uh, they had a million dollars in a year in sales at a location that, you know, it's, it's outside, it's in the suburbs, it's not, you know, midtown, there's not, you know, that crazy population density, we're a small city as it is, but the fact that they had a drive through and mind you, they didn't even have their dining room open, because throughout the pandemic, they just decided they didn't want to open the dining room, and then the thing kind of finished and there was no mass mandates or anything like that and they just stuck to drive through and to do a million dollars in sales in their first year whereas my first year I did 450,000 to me I was like this is this is great this is exactly what we what I had vi envisioned and what I wanted for them and they couldn't be happier and and the cool part is you know last week he he called me and he's looking for a, he wants to open up a second location He's at a point where he's got a good enough crew there 
that he want, he's looking for another location. He wants it to be a drive-through, and he wants to build it on the Kansas side instead of the Missouri side because there's nothing. Uh, there's no chicken and waffle locations on the Kansas side yet. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm excited for him. Um, it's a little, you know, it's 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 crazy to see. But uh, the fact that that worked and the drive-through worked gave me the reassurance that hey, that's it. We we've, we've made it. We figured it out. Let's now let's just push and expand. And we started advertising our franchising even more. So yeah, and I think we're gonna get more into it and. By the time we have the second call, we should, <clears throat> excuse me, by the time we have part two, we should get in this because I really want to hear about, I want to hear about the franchisee. I want to hear about his work ethic because I think the discipline it takes to be a bodybuilder or an athlete of any sort uh, integrated into the any business or having that person in your business and then giving them ownership in the way that you did, which also helps your bottom line and letting them expand and be entrepreneurial in their own way but also within the constructs of your franchise, I think is pretty cool. And so um, I just, my mind's going a thousand different directions because I'm just like a million dollars in a year in the first year is just crazy. And then the other thing is, is that what I like about it is it was just so bold because you didn't typically do uh, drive-through. So to bet all on drive-through even during the pandemic, even though it made sense, was just it's just crazy, right? So um, it shows that faith and discipline and you guys working together and going through it together and you gave him the comfort and leadership um, that he needed to go through the discomfortable period together because both of you were probably dis- discomfort quite a bit. Uh, new franchise, new person, all drive through. So um, I'm going to ask you to do this, uh, Dennis, as we wrap things up. If you could just close us up, tell us where they can find you on Instagram, where the locations are, or social media. But also, I know we're doing a part two, but if you could leave anyone with anything today based on what we talked about that you feel would really drive it home for the entrepreneurs out there, what would it be? Sure. Um, so again, you could find us uh, at uh, Chick hyphen in hyphen waffle.com find us at uh, on instagram facebook at uh, chicken waffle co um and uh yeah as far as uh, any entrepreneur no matter what industry you're in the for me it was always betting on yourself you can't lose right people are gonna tell you you can't you know this might not work be careful be cautious and I'm not saying don't listen to people always listen to people but always have your mind made up on what it is you want to do and when you when you do that burn your burn your bridges to where you can't go back in my mind I always said worst case scenario I could always fall back and go back to car sales but I that was things I told my wife so she wouldn't freak out I didn't believe that I could never show face in a car dealership again um, just because I uh, you know, I made this decision to, to do this and I, I need, otherwise I'd be a failure. And so I just, you keep working. You keep working. Yeah. You yeah. Let, I'm do not let any roadblocks. None. You. There's always an answer. You just have to find it. Any problem you encounter for me is for YouTube it, whatever it is, but figure it out. There isn't all oh, that's it. It is what it is. Don't get, com- don't get comfortable. Don't get complacent. Keep pushing. And I promise you, the harder you push, it might not, this business might fail, but there might be another one that might work. Just keep going. If you're an entrepreneur, then that, it is what it is. You cannot work for somebody again. And I, I worked from college till I opened up my own business. I was working for someone, um, you know, working for, for an auto group and it's very corporate. And I thought that was the, that was the dream, right? I could never work for someone again. Even making less money, I couldn't work for someone. Like right now, I work, I make less money. Well, I don't anymore, but at some point I was making less money than I was working for someone. Um, but I, I would take that pay cut any day to not have to work for someone. Well, and I think there's a lot to this, right? One is you eventually made more money than you were making. Well, and it's the rewards, not the money, the trophies, the money, the reward is all the stuff, the free lifestyle, not having to work for someone, not having to like work really hard for someone else's bottom line, those type of things. 
I think that's important. And then the reward, the trophies end up being the cash, not like a participation trophy. There is no participation trophy. Either you win when you're an entrepreneur and you, you reward and everyone grows and then you get paid money or you don't. And you provide a solution and you, and you grow the people in that solution. And if you don't attach the people to the solution, like Dennis has done here with, what was the gentleman's name that's the first franchisee? Ryan. Ryan. Oh, it's my middle name. I should know that. Sorry. And um, and sorry, guys. Sometimes I record a lot of episodes in a week and I'll actually mix like two stories together like unintentionally because I go into autopilot here and there and that's my bad. I need to be more attentive and present. But, um, but Ryan, one of the things I'd like also to attach it to the money thing is his mom took her 401k, okay? She gambled big time by world standards, okay? But in actuality, the big, the best ratio to win is betting on yourself. And even if you don't win the first time, it's continually winning, I mean, continually betting on yourself, knowing that you will eventually win. But she knew that through her hard work and discipline that she saved up the money and she saw it in her son. And here's two reasons she bet on her son, I'm guessing, and we can talk about it on the next episode. I'm gonna leave this as the cliffhanger. I don't want Dennis to answer, we'll see. Is one, she saw the discipline he had as being a bodybuilder and the success and that the discipline he had in his life, the way he ate, the way he did things, the consistency, that's what people trust. It's not just, oh, he's good looking or he, he look at his bicep. Okay, so no. And then second part is she saw how much he grew and with, uh, with you and that business. And she trusted that because to invest in someone or, or in your own son or in something, your retirement, I agree, you should do it. You should invest You should invest in yourself first. Like it's always like, people are like, oh, I have other people manage my money. No, 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 no. What is my first advice? And everyone's like, what is, no, 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 no. It's probably not great, but I'm like, we need to not do that all. It's like the Bob Newhart show. No, if you're doing something wrong, no. You take that money, you either invest it back in your businesses. And if you can't invest it back in your businesses, you feel how, figure out how to put it in real estate. And I'm not talking your own home. If you don't own your own home, or aren't owning your own home, put it into that. <clears throat> but what I'm talking about is either own the real estate for your restaurants or your food businesses, in this case, it's a food entrepreneur, or buy real estate that other people lease off of you that's a separate business, but you're putting your money into that and then you're living off of the income off those real estate businesses. That's what entrepreneurs who compound value do. And you talked about it in this episode, let's just double down. And that's important. You know, that's important. Like you have to reinvest in yourself in the 401k and the success means reinvesting. It also means burning the ships. I'm sorry, but if you're too still in on both things and, and trying to figure it out, it just things don't always work or you start momentum and then you fizzle out because you burn out. And so there's that as well. So it's almost a necessity that you commit your focus 100% to this and you align your families to it and you align your, your mindset to it and you align your friends to it. Because like Dennis said, and this is going to be my closing comment, I sometimes, like they could be the best friend ever, but all of a sudden they don't line to the trajectory or where I need to go. It's nothing against them. It's just, I can't be around them anymore. And that's not offensive. I don't, it's just like, we're like, it's a waste of my time and energy now. And that's not that you're a bad person or you're doing anything wrong. You're actually a great person. It's just not compounding where I need to go, where I want to go with my family or where I want to go with my future. So my time's better spent finding friends that help me excel in this. And it's okay to shuffle the deck every once in a while. I know people pride themselves on long-term friendships. They're important in long-term family relationships. Those are important too, especially compounding legacy. But you need to shuffle the deck and you need to upgrade your friends or upgrade your business relationships or your mentors or your coaches. So one of the things that happened here is Ryan, who's only 23 years old, upgraded his skill set by going to work for Dennis. And a family that believed in the American dream that was compounding legacy and like the mother was willing to invest in the next generation to compound her legacy because she saw it being done. Like that's what happens, even if it's intentional or not, leading by example happens 
even if we mean to. Our actions are the biggest leader of them all, not our words. So, Dennis, thank you, man. I love your story. We're going to get you on. We're part two. I will send you the date so you can pick another date uh, and time right away so we can follow up. Uh, everyone listening in, you can find us on Spotify or anywhere else you grow yourself through podcasts, which I say that. And now that I think about it, you're already listening to the episode. So why am I, I guess I'm just reinforcing it and, um, never thought about that before. And then you can also find us on Instagram at Justin, the food entrepreneur. So you can find me at Justin Mazzara. And again, that's waffle hyphen in, um, oh, sorry, chicken hyphen in waffle, um, where you can find in on a, with Dennis on Instagram while I butchered that. And um, I'm going to do it one more time just so the audience has it. That's chicken underscore in underscore waffle underscore co on Instagram. But if you type in chick dash or hyphen in uh, waffle, you can find them online or on Instagram as well. And it's in chicken hyphen in hyphen waffle.com if you want to look them up online sorry about that Dennis I'm like twisting my words I got all pumped up and my adrenaline went through the roof so um, you're a real chicken and waffle Kansas City in any way you want to type it it'll pop up yeah um, (laughs) you're one of the coolest people Uh, I love this energy and and thank you again and audience if you like thank you uh, Justin thank you if you like Dennis's story, share it, please. And if you're in Kansas City, obviously go try this place out because it's for real, like a new concept, a new idea. You're really a revolutionary entrepreneur in terms of your mindset, in terms of the way you're chasing the American dream. And my favorite part, I know it was my last commentary and then I'm really saying goodbye, is that you took something like your father was a traditional restaurantist, and at the time he was blazing a trail as a restaurateur and and um, an entrepreneur, especially with the American Dream. But one of the things we get to do as a second generation is we don't have to do it the way they did, and we can learn so much faster than they did because we grew up in the environment. They had to learn it; it became second nature to us, the basics. So now we're compounding on it's what you've done. It's what you've done. You've made the food better. You've made the business better. And you've made the relationships with the humans better. So thank you, Dennis. I hope everyone heard those three things. The relationship with the humans, the food, and the operations are all better. So cool. We're out.